0: today's scripture reading is amos 8 verses 1 through 14. this is what the lord god showed me behold a basket of summer fruit and he said amos what do you see and i said a basket of summer fruit then the lord said to me the end has come upon my people israel i will never again pass by them the songs of the temple shall become wailing in that day declares the lord so many dead bodies they are thrown everywhere silence hear this you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end saying when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the earth, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day the lovely virgins and young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, Grace DC. As we persevere in this trial of a pandemic, It also means we have to persevere in the trial of not being able to gather together and worship and be with one another and it is a trial and yet we need to take some comfort from the fact that it's not new to the Lord's Church and in fact we're told in the book of Hebrews that the fact that we continue to gather together even if it's virtually is a sign of our faith a sign of the life of God in us and in our community. So I want to commend you and encourage you to press on with your faith. And we will, as we turn and look at the book of Amos, just a couple more sermons on this as we study the universal justice of God. Now from films like Big Hero 6, The Incredibles, Harry Potter, to films like Bombshell, Spotlight, Twelve Years a Slave, We're watching for something. We're watching for evil to lose, for the bad guy to be done in, for justice to be served, for judgment to fall. And the reason we do this is because we're like the God who made us. The Bible tells us of a God who has a deep, deep concern for justice, and he will not fail to execute it. That's what judgment is. And yet he doesn't do it lightheartedly. He doesn't do it capriciously. Of judgment, we hear him saying, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God desires that all men and women repent and live. Unfortunately, for this generation of Israel that we're studying, that time has passed. They refuse to repent and now judgment is certain. We see it reflected in the opening words, which are really a play on words between the words summer and end. They sound the same in Hebrew. And so Amos is saying the long summer of God's patience has come to an end. Is there anything more dreadful than that? Anything more dreadful than when the the clock has run out? The patience has been exhausted, where the gavel hits the wood, and the sentence has been pronounced. And this micro or mini experience for Israel of this judgment really looks ahead to a greater day of the Lord, one that you and I will all experience because each one of us will stand before God. That shouldn't surprise us. Our world is so structured and so passionate about justice. Why would we think the next world would not be? And for those uh, who own their moral failings, those who repent of their sin, for those that no longer trust in their own merit, boast in their own righteousness, who instead embrace the grace of God, the unconditional forgiveness of God provided through Jesus Christ, for them it will be a day of inexpressible joy and relief because the battle with sin will be over and the hunger for a righteous and just world will have been realized. More so, they will see their great advocate. We will see the great warrior of love and justice, the one who has been with us every moment of our lives. But for those that instead serve money and power and status, for those for whom life and the world are just really objects to consume for their own pleasure and well being, for those who scoff at the idea of judgment and justice, it will be a grievous day. What a great and terrible day the day of the Lord will be. And yet we're also told there's hope because God has preserved these accounts that we're studying for the very reason that we might avoid that folly, that we might instead find a way of salvation. They have been preserved that we might learn from the example and learn the grace of repentance. And part of that is learning two things, who is liable to judgment, and also what judgment will cost. Who is liable to judgment, and what judgment will cost. Let's look at those things together. First of all, who is liable to judgment? In 1980, the Pennsylvania Lottery, the daily number, which was one of the largest in the country, was rocked by a scandal. Now the way the lottery would work is at 6.59, a lottery official would wheel out three different air-powered machines, and they would have ping-pong balls in them. And you've seen this before, the air would lift up the balls, and the ones that floated to the top would be the number picked, and they would have uh, a senior citizen there each night to pick the number because uh, hundreds and millions of dollars of the proceeds from the proceeds of the lottery were a chief revenue for senior citizen programs. That's where the money was going. It was started three years before, and at that time, uh, the host in Pittsburgh was really Pittsburgh royalty, a man named Rick uh, Nick Perry. He was a, a Navy vet, he was a church member and a church choir leader, and he was a 30-year uh, veteran of radio and TV, trusted and loved. But it was during that time hosting that he began to see flaws in the system And began to devise a scheme pulling in some co-workers and some childhood friends slash church members about how they might be able to rig the lottery and get the money see what they would do is get access to the balls and then with a syringe just fill them with something in this case it was latex paint just a little bit so they wouldn't rise all except the fours and the sixes those were the numbers they chose and so on that night they wheeled out the balls and Uh, Ironically, the number that came out was 666. And also, ironically, the people that ratted them out were organized crime because they had their own game on the side. But the reason I tell you is because it's an example, isn't it, of where the needy, in this case the senior citizens, were, were to be objects of compassion, but instead they became objects of exploitation. And not much has changed. It's been going on from the beginning of time. It was going on in Israel, God's covenant people, during Amos's day. Now, often before a judge pronounces pronounce is a sentence, he will uh, refer to the crimes that were committed, review them, and this is what Amos does. In verse four through six, he describes how Israel is dealing deceitfully with false balances. Now, uh, excavations from the 8th century uh, have found shekels. Now, shekel was the main coin of measurement, the way they measured things. And what they found was, although uh, you know the face value was the same, the weight was actually different. There were shekels that weren't of the same weight, and they were purposely made for that purpose, to rip people off. It would be kind of like you and I go to the grocery store. And uh, we believe we're buying four pounds of bananas, and the scale says four pounds of bananas, but it's really just three pounds of bananas. Um, And this sort of false advertising, of course, is happening all the time, unnoticed. But every now and then it's brought to justice, right? Um, In recent years, Volkswagen was sued for their claims about clean diesel. Activia Yogurt was sued because of their claim that there were certain immune benefits to it. Even Mini Wheats was sued because it would claim that our kids would get smarter if they ate them. I ate Mini Wheats and, well, you you make your decision. The point is this. This tendency still goes on. But also we can bring it closer to home, right? Maybe this false advertising or playing with the scales is, I've only worked, 30 hours, but I say I work 35, or I only uh, worked for a client for 18 hours, but I bill them for 20, or maybe it's playing with the truth. We're coming up on an election, right, where claims about a particular person are going to be weighted in favor or not in favor. And what would happen in Amos' day when the poor would bring these concerns to the city gate, which was the place where, sort of like the courts, where laws and policies were decided, they were dismissed. They were, their voice was not heard. And so what we have is we have those that have advantage economically and socially concerned that the law and the loopholes serve their needs primarily and not so much the needs of the poor and the needy. And this gets to an important point about how injustice works if we're going to understand also who's liable to judgment. Now, on the surface, it might seem the reason these people did this is they just hated people because they were poor. Well, maybe there were a few people that just despised poor people, but that wasn't the primary reason. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Some years back, I was in an event uh, hosted by International Justice Mission, IJM, and they work to free uh, bonded slaves uh, uh, combating sex trafficking. And uh, in it, one of the speakers said something that really surprised me. He said, um, you know, the reason these young women are trafficked isn't because uh, men just love to traffic young women and they just hate women for the sake of hating women, it's because of money. It's because of profit. That's the motive. That's what's pushing it. I mean, I'm sure Nick Perry didn't hate old people. He loved money. And the same with racial injustice. The reason for slavery and Jim Crow wasn't because people said, I hate your skin tone, but rather their prosperity was hitched to keeping people in this position under this oppression and so it's important that we not think about injustice in a superficial way and the reason I say this is we might hear of these kind of injustices and go well that's not me you know I, I don't hate poor people I don't hate people because of their skin color maybe the question is though do you love luxury Do you love comfort and peace for you and yours? Are you primarily concerned about the way laws and policies work for your advantage? I think all of us feel some conviction on that, isn't it? But there's another thing we can look at to see who might be liable to judgment. And that is in verse 5 when Amos, or rather the Lord, is sort of quoting the folks that are pressing, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? Now the law of Moses commanded that on the Sabbath and on certain holidays and festivals there be no buying and selling, and God gave this as a grace to his people, but also that they would trust him as provider. But those that are, you know, opposed to God and rejecting God, they can't rest on the Sabbath. They can't rest on those days. All they're thinking is, you know, I need to get back to it and make my money, make my thing. And so, you know, it puts a question before us. Am I able to rest? Do I rest? If not, I'll be more vulnerable to the idols of money and status and power. And I'll be more vulnerable to use people toward that end if we can't rest the people that work with us and work under us we won't let them rest either and so you see this connection between our ability to trust in the lord and injustice those that are liable for judgment are those that persist in these sort of behaviors and yet do not repent you know for for if you are someone that uh, you know are you struggling? You know, uh, are we saying to the Lord, search me and know me when it comes to issues of injustice? Is it a closed book or is our desire to say, Lord, I want to go further and further and I know I have a tendency to have my own biases. I have a tendency to want to serve myself and not other people. Can we receive that? If so, the Lord will grant us the grace of repentance. And that will save us from a great cost. Let's move to what judgment will cost. Now it's a sad reality, and I see this in my own life, that we won't change until we experience pain. We won't make certain health changes until our body yells at us. Or maybe we won't make certain character changes until we risk losing someone we love. Or maybe we don't become humble until we experience great failure in our lives and that is um you know we won't we can only change we will only change if we first experience the pain of experience and that's really what the bible describes as a fool right someone that really can't respond to wisdom and ultimately the experience they receive is hell but the wise contrary to that is someone who listens to the word of wisdom, who responds. This is why God kept sending prophets to Israel. He kept sending his word to them over and over and over them because he wanted them to hear and respond. It's why he sent the great prophet Jesus Christ, the final prophet, to speak the word to you and I. And especially in Jesus' parables, we see this parables could either be judgment or grace. They, they were stories that were told, but the humble could grasp their meetings, but the proud could not understand them. And so we find here that the first and highest cost of judgment is we lose the voice and the word of the Lord. Amos says in verse 11, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it those who reject God's words will suddenly be at a loss for finding them the words will be gone now again uh, there would be a way to superficially apply this you know maybe we would say well God is talking about uh, those people that make fun of the Bible that never read the Bible that you know just reject the Bible but that's not the audience here is it It's people that are, quote-unquote, churchgoers. So what's going on? Well, what's going on here is uh, it's not uh, all-out rejection, but rather selection of what they want to hear. Pastor Duke talked about this last week, how all of us are prone to want to hear the things that we want to hear. And so it may be someone says, well, you know, I like the Bible on love, but I don't like it on the fact that uh, you have to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. Or, I I like the Bible on um, forgiveness, but I don't like it so much on what it teaches on sexuality. Or it might be, you know, I like the Bible on personal holiness, but not what it teaches on social justice. And so we don't read and study those topics as much. And in that way, uh, we find ourselves not listening to the Word of God. But the greatest cost is we lose the gospel. The Bible is ultimately the revelation of God's holiness and his grace expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's as we are broken by our sin, broken by our injustice, that we also find the water of life. We find the Lord showing us grace. And so we avoid the cost of losing the word of God. Second of all, which leads into this, because when we lose the gospel, we lose God himself. And this is a loss of communion. Throughout, we hear this refrain that Israel will lose the land. And this was a major promise, right, that they were given way back with Abraham. They will lose it. This injustice will will uh, result in a flood of military disaster coming from Assyria. But we understand, you know, land is more than you know where we plop our house down. It's more than cement and wood and grass and a garden. Land or that place is where we have friendship, where we um, have fellowship. It's a place of communion. And this is ultimately what it represented to Israel. God would say in the Psalms, you know, I am your dwelling place. Heaven will be Heaven because the Lord will finally dwell with his people. The meek will inherit the earth and they will inherit the presence of God. And one of the judgments that comes is isolation and alienation. You know we, we experience that right now, for no fault of our own during this pandemic, but you know, imagine through your own fault of your own. An eternity of great alienation and isolation. This is the cost of judgment. But lastly, the cost of judgment is also the loss of hope in life. We have this metaphor of darkness. Verse 9, I will make the Sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight signifies mourning of loss and hope. In Deuteronomy, where God spelled out the blessings and the curses, one of the curses was the idea of darkness. Jesus, when he talked about the final judgment, said the earth shall mourn. So it's this idea of light and hope going together. We understand that, right? Whether we see the the light of uh, a child's face and it gives us hope, or the light of love, or the light of truth. And no matter how dark our lives have gotten, none of us have experienced a life bereft, a life emptied of goodness and truth and love, a world empty of God's light but final judgment will be darkness. It will be the loss of all that is light and all is hopeful. And yet, even in these signs of judgment, we're turned to the gospel and hope because in every one of the things I mentioned, the Son of God came intentionally to take that judgment so that you and I might live It was Jesus who enjoyed the words of God like no other. He not only spoke the words of God, but his delight were the intimate times of praying. The word of God that he memorized as a child. Yet on the cross, we find him at a loss for words, meaning the words of heaven. In the garden, he prays to the Lord, but there's no answer. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences the famine of the word of God. So you and I might hear the words of love. We might hear God sing over us as Zephaniah says. God might speak to us as a friend speaks to a friend. He might speak to us as a father speaks to a child. We might hear the beautiful song of the lover. Second of all, Jesus was the co-creator of the heavens and the earth, but as you look at his ministry, he was cast out of town to town. Ultimately, he's cast out of the holy city where he belongs. He's crucified outside of the city, meaning outside of the presence of God. Again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He does this so you and I would never be alone, that we would always enjoy the presence of God for eternity, and with it, everything. That our heart longs for and needs. And lastly, Jesus is the light of the world, but we're told on the cross, dark fell over the land, and this dark was a sign that judgment was falling upon him. And so for all that trusted him, that all that turned to the light, they find the great promise that they will live in a city where God will be the light, that they themselves will be robed in light, that they will live in an endless day of light and love. And so you see, even in these signs of judgment, the Son of God has come to absorb those very things so that on the day of the Lord, you and I wouldn't face them, but rather we would face the great opposite, the great joy of it. So my friends, Let us not be those who are liable to judgment, and let us not experience the cost of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Don't let it pass another day. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful, even for your judgment, because we know you love justice, and even those that have hurt and harmed us will be brought to justice, but more so these four are so that we might turn to you and see the glory of the gospel, what you have done in taking judgment upon us through your Son. In Christ's name, amen.